everybody, welcome to another episode of Classes of Mail. My name is Alan Gigax, and this week we are reading from the JCAM. We are on to Article 8. It's the one you've all been waiting for. This is the number one source of grievances for our union stewards because management violates these provisions you're about to hear all the time. It's as though they don't understand the contract <clears throat> and like what the overtime desired list means. But we're going to understand it because we're going to read it. So, I don't know yet whether I'm going to read the whole thing. It's pretty long. Um, uh, we shall see. I guess if you notice that the episode is under an hour, then I didn't read the whole thing. Whatever. Never going to get it if I don't get started. So, let's get started. Oh, and I'm going back to my Southern Gentleman accent this week. <clears throat> Here we go. Uh, article 8 is Hours of Work. 8.1, Section 1, Work Week. The work week for full-time regulars shall be 40 hours per week, 8 hours per day within 10 consecutive hours, provided, however, that in all offices with more than 100 full-time employees in the bargaining unit, the normal work week for full-time regular employees will be 40 hours per week, 8 hours per day within 9 consecutive hours. <clears throat> Shorter work weeks will, however, exist as needed for part-time regulars. 8.2 Section 2, Work Schedules. A. The Employee's Service Week <clears throat> shall be a calendar week beginning at 12.01 a.m. Saturday and ending at 12 midnight the following Friday. Oh, that was A. B. The Employee's Service Day is the calendar day on which the majority of work is scheduled. Where the work schedule is distributed evenly over two calendar days, the service day is the calendar day on which the work, such work schedule begins. C. The employee's normal work week is five service days, each consisting of eight hours within ten consecutive hours, except as provided in section one of this article. <clears throat> as far as practicable, the five days shall be consecutive days within the service week. Service week. 8.2a, 8.2.a defines the service week of bargaining unit employees. The service week begins at 12.01 a.m. Saturday and ends at 12 midnight the following Friday. <coughs> Defining the service week enables the parties to make and enforce rules about weekly hours guarantees, limits on weekly work hours, overtime paid for work over a certain number of hours during a service week, etc. The service week is not necessarily the same as a week for vacation planning purposes, Article 10.3.E. The FLSA work week also has a different definition, Article 8.4 FLSA overtime. Service day, Article 8.2B defines the service day for pay and overtime purposes. The definition is more important for employees in, in other crafts than for letter carriers who are seldom scheduled to work past midnight into another calendar day. The service day is defined as the calendar day on which the majority of work is scheduled. <clears throat> Where the work schedule is distributed evenly over two calendar days, the service day is the calendar day on which such work schedule begins. Full-time employee schedules. Read together, 
Article 8, Sections 1 and 2.C provide that the work week for all full-time carriers, i.e. full-time regulars and full-time flexibles, including unassigned regulars, reserve care regulars, and carrier technicians, <clears throat> consists of five days, 40 hours per week, and eight hours per day within 10 consecutive hours. Additionally, in all offices with more than 100 full-time employees in the bargaining units, the eight hours per day must be within nine consecutive hours. Days off. The schedule of a regular employee must include fixed or rotating days off on a permanent basis. Article 30.B.2. As far as practicable, the five days of an employee's fixed regular schedule must be consecutive days within the service week. Article 8.2.C. Five-minute leeway five-minute leeway rule. <clears throat> Regardless of exactly what an employee's regular schedule is, there's the question of whether the employee is compensated for all-time work at either the straight time or overtime rate, whichever is applicable, Article 8.4. The issue often arises in regard to the five-minute leeway rule con contained in the F-21 handbook incorporated into the national agreement through the provisions of Article 19. Once an employee's time on the clock exceeds the employee's established work schedule for that day by more than five minutes, the total time for that day becomes payable time. <clears throat> In an effort to avoid additional costs and administrative burdens, the Postal Service tries to ensure that an employee does not accumulate a daily total of more than five minutes of clock time in excess of the employee's schedule worked of the employee's scheduled work time, unless, of course, the employee is assigned to work overtime. <clears throat> Still feeling the effects of being sick last time. Now, anyway, here we go. 8.3, 8 Section 3, Exceptions. The above shall not apply to part-time employees and transitional employees. Part-time employees will be scheduled in accordance with the above rules, except they may be scheduled for less than 8 hours per service day and less than 40 hours per normal work week. CCA employees will be scheduled in accordance with Section 2 A and B of this article. <clears throat> part-time regulars. Articles 8.1 and 8.2 apply to part-time regulars except that their regular schedule may be less than 8 hours per service day and less than 40 hours per normal work week. The Postal Service may not create part-time regular assignments with 6-day schedules. And there's a citation here. Work schedules of part-time flexible PTF and city carrier assistant CCA employees. <clears throat> article 8.3 makes clear that the normal work week defined by Article 8.2.C does not apply to PTFs or CCAs who have no daily 8-hour or weekly 40-hour guarantees. Moreover, the language in Article 7.1.8.2 provides that PTFs, quote, shall be available to work flexible hours as assigned by the employer during the course of a service week, end quote, which means that PTFs may be scheduled to work more or less than five days per week and more or less than eight hours per day. The same rule applies to CCAs. <clears throat> Standby. PTFs and CCAs may not be required to remain on standby or remain at home for a call-in on days they are not scheduled to work. I'm going to repeat that, guys. Bears repeating. Stand by. PTFs and CCAs may not be required to remain on standby or remain at home for a call-in on days they are not scheduled to work. Breaks. 
PTFs and CCAs receive the same rest breaks as full-time letter carriers when they work eight hours or more in a service day. When PTFs or CCAs only work a portion of a day, less than eight hours, they receive one rest break if the employee works less than six hours and two rest breaks if the employee works six hours or more. <coughs> Overtime, PTFs and CCAs. The overtime rate provisions of Article 8.4.B regarding work in excess of 8 hours in a service day or 40 hours in a service week do apply to PCFs and CCAs, as well as all bargaining unit employees, Article 8.4.B. 8.4. Section 4. Overtime Work. A. Overtime pay is to be paid at the rate of one and one-half times the base hourly straight time rate. The preceding paragraph, Article 8.4.A, shall apply to city carry assistant employees. <clears throat> B. Overtime shall be paid to employees for work performed only after 8 hours on duty in any one service day or 40 hours in any one service week. Nothing in this section shall be construed by the parties or any reviewing authority to deny the payment of overtime to employees for time worked outside of their regularly scheduled work week at the request of the employer. The preceding paragraph, Article 8.4.B, shall apply to city carrier assistant employees. C. Penalty overtime pay is to be paid at the rate of two times the base hourly straight time rate. Penalty overtime pay will not be paid for any hours worked in the month of December. The preceding paragraph, Article 8.4.C, shall apply to city carrier assistant employees. <clears throat> postal overtime. All bargaining unit employees are paid postal overtime for time spent in a pay status in excess of 8 hours in a service day and or in excess of 40 hours in a service week. Hours in pay status include hours of actual work and hours of paid leave. Postal overtime pay rate. The contractual overtime rate of pay is one and one half times the base straight time rate. The overtime rate for PTFs is the same as the overtime rate for full-time regular employees in the same step and grade. This rate is slightly less than one and one half times the PTF base straight time hourly rate. This is a consequence of PTFs receiving a slightly higher regular straight time hourly rate than full-time regulars in order to compensate them for not receiving paid holidays. Article 11.7. <clears throat> FLSA overtime. Totally independent of the contract are those provisions of the Federal Fair Labor Standards Act governing overtime for all bargaining unit employees who actually work more than 40 hours during the employee's FLSA work week. The FLSA overtime rate is one and one half times the employee's regular rate of pay for all hours of actual work in excess of 40 hours in the FLSA work week. The regular rate of pay is computed by adding the employee's total compensation, including night differential, Sunday premium, territorial COLA, and higher level pay, and excluding pay for leave hours, contract overtime pay, out of schedule premium pay, and penalty overtime pay for all hours actually worked, excluding paid leave hours, but including steward's duty time and time off authorized under the 7.01 rule during the FLSA work week and then dividing the dollar total by the number of hours the employee actually worked during the FLSA work week. Detail detailed FLSA overtime regulations can be found in ELM section 443. Because certain pay premiums are included in the calculation of FLSA overtime rate, 
an employee may receive a higher rate of pay for FLSA overtime than for postal overtime. <clears throat> postal over, or penalty overtime rate. The penalty overtime rate is two times the employee's base straight time hourly rate. Article 8.4.E provides that, excluding December, PTFs and CCAs are paid at the penalty overtime rate for all work in excess of 10 hours in a service day or 56 hours in a service week. Article 8.4.D provides that full-time regular employees will be paid at the penalty overtime rate for any overtime work in contravention of the restrictions in Article 8.5.F. For the purposes of the applica application of Article 8, Sections 4 and 5 of the National Agreement, December consists of four consecutive service weeks, which are identified each year in the Postal Bulletin and are hereafter referred to as the Penalty, over penalty Overtime Exclusion Period. December. <clears throat> out of Schedule Premium. 8.4.B refers to the Out of Schedule Premium provisions contained in ELM Section 434.6. They provide that Out of Schedule Premium is paid at the postal overtime rate to eligible full-time bargain unit employees for time worked outside of and instead of their regularly scheduled workday or work week when employees work on a temporary schedule at the request of management. Only full-time regular and full-time flexible carriers may receive out-of-schedule pay. However, this does not preclude part-time employees from receiving a monetary remedy for contractual scheduling violations when warranted by fact circumstances, e.g. violations of Article 41.2.B.4. A full-time flexible employee's regular schedule for the purpose of this provision is the schedule established on the preceding Wednesday, Article 7. An employee does not receive out-of-schedule pay when his or her schedule is changed to provide limited or light duty. And here's a citation. When the employee is attending a recognized training session or when the employee is allowed to make up time due to tardiness in reporting for duty, ELM section 434.622. Note also that letter carriers who fill temporarily vacant carrier technician positions under the provisions of Article 25 assume the hours of the vacancy as provided by the pre-arbitration settlement blah 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 which states details of an anticipated duration of one week five working days within seven calendar days or longer to temporarily vacant carrier technician positions shall be filled per Article 25 1981 National Agreement. When such temporary details involve a schedule change for the detailed employee, that employee will assume the hours of the vacancy without obligation to the employer for out-of-schedule overtime. Rules for out-of-schedule premium. In the letter carrier craft, the out-of-schedule premium provisions are applicable only in cases where management is given advance notice of the change of schedule by Wednesday of the preceding service week. In all other cases, a full-time employee is entitled to work the hours of his or her regular schedule or receive pay in lieu thereof and the regular overtime rules apply, not the out-of-schedule premium rules. If a notice of a temporary change is given to a full-time employee by Wednesday of the preceding service week, even if this change is revised later, management has the right to limit the employee's work hours to the hours of the revised schedule and out-of-schedule premium is paid for those hours worked outside of and instead of his or her regular schedule. <clears throat> 
If notice of a temporary schedule change is not given to a full-time employee by Wednesday of the preceding service week, the employee is entitled to work his or her regular schedule and the out-of-schedule provisions do not apply. In this case, any hours worked in addition to the employee's regular schedule are not considered out-of-schedule premium hours. Instead, they're paid as overtime hours worked in excess of 8 hours per service day or 40 hours per service week. Out-of-schedule premium hours cannot exceed the unworked portion of the full-time employee's regular schedule. If employees work their full regular schedule, then any additional hours worked are not instead of their regular schedule and are not considered as out-of-schedule premium hours. Any hours worked which result in paid hours in excess of 8 hours per service day or 40 hours per service week are paid at the overtime rate. Uh, there is a chart here which explains how out-of-schedule pay works uh, and it gives examples of hours that you work during your normal schedule and then hours that you would work outside your normal schedule and if you want to see it you'll have to actually go look at the at the thing it's on schedule 8.6 or it's on page 8.6 8 8-6 dude moving on daily schedule examples the following examples, which refer to the chart above, illustrate the out-of-schedule premium rules. So I guess we're going to describe them here. In example one, you know, going doing these examples doesn't really mean much when you can't see the chart. So if you want to see the chart, again, I refer you to page 8-6. All right, moving on. Weekly schedule example. For example, an employee's regular schedule is Monday through Friday and she is given timely notice of a temporary schedule change to Sunday through Thursday with the same daily work hours. She works eight hours per day Sunday through Thursday. The hours worked on Sunday are out of schedule premium hours provided they are worked instead of the employee's regularly scheduled hours on Friday. However, if the employee also works her regular schedule on Friday, then there can be no out-of-schedule premium hours. The employee is paid overtime for the hours worked in excess of 40 during the service week. Voluntary schedule changes. There may be situations in which full-time employees wish to have the regular schedules temporarily changed for their own convenience. Out-of-schedule premium is not paid when a change in a full-time employee's schedule meets all three of the following criteria. <clears throat> One, the requested change in schedule is for the personal convenience of the employee, not for the convenience of management. Note that arbitrator games are held in blah, 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 that management is not relieved of the obligation to pay out of schedule premium by informing employees who volunteered for higher level assignments that such assignments would be consi considered to be at the request of the employee. Additionally, arbitrator Mittenthal determined in case blah, 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 that acting supervisors, 204B, or the employee supervisors in the grievances before him were, quote, entitled to the out-of-schedule premium during their details as temporary supervisors, end quote. He based his decision on both an October 10, 1975 Postal Service directive, which authorized the payment of out-of-schedule premium to acting supervisors, and the four-year practice of following that directive prior to the NLRB decision, which management believes supported a change in that policy. The employee, two, the employee has signed a PS Form 3189, Request for Temporary Schedule Change for Personal Convenience. And three, management and the union's representative, normally the certified steward of the employee's work location, agree to the change and both sign the PS Form 3189. <clears throat> 8.4.D. D. 
penalty overtime pay will be paid to full-time regular employees for any overtime work in in contravention of the restrictions in Section 5.F. Penalty overtime entitlement of full-time employees. Excluding the penalty overtime exclusion period, December, a full-time employee receives penalty overtime pay at two times the base straight time rate, Article 8.4.C, for work beyond the limits stated in Article 8.5.F, which are Overtime worked on more than four of the employee's five scheduled days in a a service week. Work over 10 hours on a regularly scheduled day. Work over eight hours on a non-scheduled day or work over six days in a service week. This provision applies only to full-time regular and full-time flexible employees. 8.4.E. E. E. Excluding December, part-time employees will receive penalty overtime pay for all work in excess of 10 hours in a service day or 56 hours in a service week. The preceding paragraph, Article 8.4.E, shall apply to city carrier assisted employees. Penalty overtime for other employees. Excluding the penalty overtime exclusion period, December, Article 8.4.E requires the payment of penalty overtime at two times the base straight time rate, Article 8.4.C, for all work beyond 10 hours in a service day or 56 hours in a service week. Article 8.4.E applies to PTFs and CCAs. Part-time regulars are in the same category as PTFs for penalty overtime purposes. 8.4.F. F. Whenever two or more overtime or premium rates may appear applicable to the same hour or hours worked by an employee, there shall be no pyramiding or adding together of such overtime or premium rates, and only the higher of the employee's applicable rates shall apply. The preceding paragraph, Article 8.4.F, shall apply to city carrier assisting employees. No pyramiding of overtime rates. Because Article 8.4.F prohibits the pyramiding or adding together of overtime and premium rates, it it generally results in a ceiling on postal overtime of two times the employee's base rate, the penalty overtime rate, which is the highest premium pay rate. However, night shift differential, Article 8.7, is added to overtime premium rates because the night shift differential is not a premium for the purpose of this section. Employees receiving Christmas work pay, Article 11.4.B, also receive applicable night differential and Sunday premiums. ELM Exhibit 434.8. 8.5. Section 5. Overtime Assignments. When needed, overtime work for regular full-time employees shall be scheduled among qualified employees doing similar work in the work location where the employees regularly work in accordance with the following. Uh, all right. Overtime assignment rules apply to full-time employees. <clears throat> the introduction to Article 8.5 clarifies that its provisions as a whole apply only to full-time regular or full-time flexible employees who are needed to work overtime. This provision does not require management to use a full-time employee desiring to work overtime in preference to a PTF or a CCA working overtime. Management normally has the right to assign overtime work to full-time employees rather than to a PTF or CCA. An exception to this general principle is management's requirement to provide auxiliary assistance, CJCAM pages 8-14 through 8-15, before requiring letter carriers not on the ODL or work assignment list to work overtime on their own route on a regularly scheduled day. 
This exception is explained following Article 8.5.C.2.D under the heading Implementing Memorandum on Letter Carrier Paragraph. Acting Supervisors. <clears throat> An Acting Supervisor, 204B, may not be assigned bargaining unit overtime in lieu of a bargaining unit employee. The PS Form 1723 is the controlling document for determining whether an employee is in a 204B status. See Article 1.6 for a complete discussion on this issue. 8.5.A. A. Employees desiring to work overtime shall place their names on either the overtime desired list or the work assignment list during the two, two weeks prior to the start of the calendar quarter and their names shall remain on the list until such time as they remove their names from the list. Employees may switch from one list to the other during the two weeks prior to the start of the calendar quarter, and the change will be effective beginning that new calendar quarter. Signing overtime lists. Full-time carriers, including full-time flexibles, who want to work overtime may place their names on either the overtime desired list, ODL, or the work assignment list, but not both. Carriers may sign a list or switch between lists only during the two weeks prior to the beginning of the calendar quarter. There is an exception for employees who are on military leave during the sign-up period. They are always permitted to sign the list upon return to work. And there's a citation here. Carriers newly promoted from PTF to full-time regularly regular status must normally wait until the beginning of the next calendar quarter before they can sign the list, unless the local memorandum of understanding, LMOU, provides otherwise, the following rules apply. A full-time flexible letter carrier assigned to another overtime section within an installation during a quarter may sign the ODL or the work assignment list in the new section immediately if he or she was on the list in the old section. See Article 8.5.C.2.C for a discussion of determining equitability in such circumstances. A full-time regular letter carrier who bids or is transferred to another overtime section within an installation may sign the ODL or the work assignment list in the new unit immediately if he or she was on the list in the old section. That's for me. Uh, where was I? In the old section. Ah, see Joint Statement on Overtime M-00833. See Article 8.5.C.2.C for a discussion of determining equitability in such circumstances. A full-time letter carrier who is excess to another installation or who exercises retreat rights under the provisions of Article 12 may sign the ODL or the work assignment list in the new installation immediately if he or she was on the list in the old installation. See Article 8.5.C.2.C for discussion of determining equitability in such circumstances. Additionally, the following MOU applies to this situation. And here we have a, mem a memorandum of understanding between the post office and the NALC regarding signing overtime lists. The parties agree to the following regarding employees transferred from another installation or part-time flexible city letter carriers and city carrier assistants who become full-time city letter carriers in the installation following the two-week period for signing the overtime list, Article 8.5.A. The installation head and branch president or their designees may mutually elect to develop a process that allows employees who transfer from, an, from another installation or are converted to full-time following the sign-up period to place their names on either the overtime desired list or work assignment list. 
Local procedures agreed upon pursuant to the terms of the predecessor memorandum of understanding regarding signing overtime lists will remain in effect and may only be modified by mutual agreement of the local parties or through the local implementation process. The parties further agree that once a local process is developed pursuant to the terms of this memorandum, it may only be modified by mutual agreement of the local parties. The 1984 National Memorandum of Understanding on Overtime provides that, quote, Normally, employees on the ODL who don't want to work more than 10 hours a day or 56 hours a week shall not be required to do so, as long as employees who do want to work more than 10 hours a day or 56 hours a week are available to do the needed work without exceeding the 12-hour and 60-hour limitations, end quote. The complete text of this memorandum is reprinted at the end of this article. To implement this agreement, the parties have agreed that an asterisk may be used on the ODL to distinguish between those who wish to work more than 10 hours in a day and those who do not. Once a carrier signs a list, his or her name remains on the list from quarter to quarter until the carrier asks that it be removed in writing. Carriers may remove their names from the list at any time during the quarter. However, management need not immediately honor the request if the employees needed for overtime work on the day the request is made. See the joint statement on overtime, JCAM pages 8-29 through 8-31. Management may not unilaterally remove an employee's name from the ODL. However, employees on the ODL are required to work overtime except as provided in Article 8.5.E. Here's the citation. 8.5.B. B. Overtime desired lists will be established by craft, section, or tour in accordance with Article 30, Local Implementation. Establishment of ODLs. The subject of whether the ODL is established by section and or tour may be locally negotiated under the provisions of Article 30.B.14. However, as a practical matter, in most installations, letter carriers do not work during more than one tour. LMOU provisions on this subject might provide, for example, that separate ODL be maintained by defined sections, by individual stations, by zones, for parcel post routes, for collection routes, etc. See Article 30 in this publication. The work assignment list is distinct from the regular overtime list discussed in Article 8.5.C.2. It is discussed in a separate section below. 8.5.C.1 C.1 Reserved Reserve Section in, in the 1990 and earlier national agreements, this section contained provisions that did not apply to letter carrier craft. When the references to other crafts were deleted in the 1994 national agreement, Article 8.5.C.1 was intentionally reserved to avoid renumbering the remainder of Article 8.5.C. 8.5.C.2 5.C.2.A When when during the quarter the need for overtime arises, employees with the necessary skills having their names, having listed their names, will be selected from the overtime desired list. 5.C.2.B. During the overtime, during the, during the quarter, every effort will be made to distribute equitably the opportunities for overtime among those on the overtime desired list. 5.C.2.C. In order to ensure equitable opportunities for overtime, overtime hours worked and opportunities offered will be posted and updated weekly. 
equitable distribution of overtime opportunities. Seniority does not govern the availability of overtime work for those letter carriers who wish to work overtime, nor is overtime distributed on a rotating basis. Rather, Article 8.5.C.2 provides that for those carriers who sign the ODL, overtime opportunities must be distributed equitably, i.e. fairly. This does not mean that, that actual overtime hours worked must be distributed equally. National arbitrator Bernstein ruled in blah 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 that in determining equitable dist distribution of overtime, the number of hours of overtime as well as the number of opportunities for overtime must be considered. Missed opportunities for overtime, i.e. one ODL carrier worked instead of another, must be made up for with equitable distribution of overtime during the quarter unless the bypass carrier was not available, i.e. the carrier was on leave or working overtime on his or her own route on a regularly scheduled day, etc. See the explanation under Article 8.5.C.2.D. Since full-time flexible employees may have flexible reporting locations within an installation, Article 7, determining whether overtime has been equally determining whether overtime has been equitably distributed can become complex. Of course, if a full-time flexible works within the same overtime section for an entire quarter, determining whether overtime has been equitably distributed during the quarter is perfectly straightforward. However, a full-time flexible letter carrier assigned to another overtime section during a quarter may be entitled to sign the ODL in the new section immediately if he or she was on the list in the old section, Article 8.5.A. In such cases, the right to an equitable share of overtime is only in the new section and is only determined from the time the full-time flexible letter carrier signed the ODL in the new section. Overtime worked in the section to which previously assigned is not a consideration. However, full-time flexible employees will not be moved to another overtime section solely to circumvent the provisions of Article 8.5.C above. The same rule applies in the case of full-time regular letter carriers who sign the ODL in a new overtime section or a new installation during the quarter, Article 8.5.A. National Arbitrator Howard Gamzer ruled in blah 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 that the Postal Service must pay employees deprived of equitable opportunities for the overtime hours they did not work only if management's failure to comply with its contractual obligations under 8.5.C.2 shows, quote, a willful disregard or defiance of the contractual provision, a deliberate attempt to grant disparate or favorite treatment to an employee or group of employees, or caused a situation in which the equalizing opportunity could not be afforded within the next quarter, end quote. In all other cases, games are held, the proper remedy is to provide, quote, an equalizing opportunity in the immediate court in the next immediate quarter or pay a compensatory monetary award if this is not done end quote national arbitrator benjamin aaron ruled in blah 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 that management violated article 8.5 when it assigned a carrier not on the odl to carry a route on overtime on his non-scheduled day rather than splitting up the route between available carriers from the list. Aaron ruled that management must have good cause before going off the list. Overtime and annual leave. Normally, employees, including employees on the ODL, who have scheduled annual leave, including incidental annual leave, immediately preceding or following non-scheduled days, will not be required to work overtime on the non-scheduled days. The intent of the parties is to allow employees to make advanced plans for non-scheduled days. It is not the 
it is not the intent of the parties to create a means to circumvent the scheduling provisions of Article 8. Employees on the ODL, if they desire, may advise their supervisor in writing of their availability to work on a non-scheduled day that is in conjunction with approved annual leave. And there are citations here. Request for a temporary schedule change. The intent of submitting a PS Form 3189, which requests an earlier leaving time, is to obtain approval for the employee to leave at that earlier time. Consequently, it is inappropriate for management to approve such a form and then require the employee to work post-tour overtime in other than an emergency situation. When a PS Form 3189 requesting an earlier leaving time is approved, the requesting employee will be passed over for any overtime worked on that day as being unavailable. Thus, no grievances may be filed if employees with an approved PS Form 3189 are passed over. Likewise, no grievances will be filed on behalf of employees required to work overtime as a result of passing over an employee with an approved PS Form 3189. And there are citations. Overtime and holiday scheduling. Much of what is often considered overtime work by full-time employees on their holiday or designated holiday is not overtime. Rather, it is holiday worked pay or holiday scheduling premium. The only work that is contractually overtime for full-time employees working on a holiday or designated holidays is work beyond eight hours in a day, ELM section 434.53. Furthermore, work up to eight hours on a non-scheduled day assigned under the provisions of Article 11.6 is not considered in determining equitability. This is because the, the employees assigned the overtime in such situations are not selected from the ODL under the provisions of Article 8.5.C.2.A. Rather, they are selected under the provisions of Article 11.6 and any applicable LMOU provisions. The provisions of Article 11 only apply to scheduling full-time employees to work eight hours on their holiday, designated holiday, or non-scheduled day. The provisions of Article 8 apply to scheduling work beyond 8 hours on those days. Therefore, only work over 8 hours on a non-scheduled day, holiday, or designated holiday scheduled under the provisions of Article 11.6 is considered and counted toward determining equ equitability at the end of the quarter. National Arbitrator Mittenthal held in blah 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 that a regular employee who volunteers to work on a holiday or designated holiday has only volunteered to work 8 hours. A regular volunteer cannot work beyond the eight hours without supervision, first exhausting the ODL. We get a drink. All right. 8.5.C.2.D. 5.C.2.D. Recourse to the overtime desired list is not necessary in the case of a letter carrier working on the employee's own route on one of the employee's regularly scheduled days. 5.C.2.E All overtime hours worked by and all employees offered all opportunities offered to employees on the overtime desired list, regardless of whether the overtime opportunity is on or off the employee's own route, will be considered and counted when determining quarterly equitability. 5.C.2.F Only overtime hours worked or opportunities offered beyond 8 hours on a holiday or designated holiday will be considered and counted when determining equitability.
counted toward equitability. The 2019 National Agreement provides that all overtime work by a letter carrier, including carrier technicians, on the ODL counts toward equitability for the quarter. The only exception is for the first eight hours of holiday premium work, work performed at one and a half times the straight rate of pay on a holiday or designated holiday. Pre-arbitration settlement, blah, 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 is no longer applicable as written. However, overtime that is concurrent with occurs during the same time as overtime work by a litter carrier on the employee's own route on one of the employee's regularly scheduled days is still not counted as an opportunity missed for the purposes of administration of the ODL. Uh, citation blah 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 is also no longer applicable. Letter carrier paragraph. For many years, Article 8.5.C.2.D also gave management the right to require a letter carrier working on his or her own route on a regularly scheduled day to work mandatory overtime rather than assigning the overtime to a carrier from the ODL. However, in the overtime memorandum first negotiated as part of the 1984 National Agreement, the Postal Service and NALC added the following qualification known as the letter carrier paragraph. In the letter carrier craft, where management determines that overtime or auxiliary assistance is needed on an employee's route on one of the employee's regularly scheduled days and the employee is not on the overtime desired list, the employer will seek to utilize auxiliary assistance when available rather than requiring the employee to work mandatory overtime. The complete text of this memorandum is printed at the end of this article. National Arbitrator Mittenthal ruled blah 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 that the letter carrier paragraph is an enforceable obligation. Implementing Memorandum on Letter Carrier Paragraph A Memorandum of Understanding signed December 20th, 1988 blah blah blah, a citation, uh, further explain the requirement to seek to use auxiliary assistance before requiring letter carriers not on the ODL or work assignment list to work overtime on their own route on a regularly scheduled day. CCAs are considered as auxiliary assistance. Accordingly, management must seek to use CCAs at either the straight time or regular overtime rate prior to requiring letter carriers not on the ODL or work assignment list to work overtime on their own route on a regularly scheduled day. Management must seek to use all of the following to provide auxiliary assistance. PTFs at the straight time or regular overtime rate. CCAs at the straight time or regular overtime rate. Available full-time regular employees, such as unassigned or reserve regulars at the straight time rate, and full-time carriers from the ODL at the regular overtime rate. However, the memo states that management does not have to use ODL carriers to provide auxiliary assistance if such an assignment would mean that the ODL carriers would be working penalty overtime. In that limited situation, if no auxiliary assistance is available without going into penalty overtime, management can require full-time regular carriers not on the ODL to work overtime on their own routes on a regularly scheduled day. Remember that this limited exception only applies when a full-time non-ODL letter carrier is required to work overtime on his or her own assignment on a regularly scheduled day. Before requiring a non-ODL to work overtime on a non-scheduled day, or off his or her own assignment, management must seek to use a carrier from the ODL even if the ODL carrier would be working penalty overtime, Article 8.5.D. The memo goes on to state that, 
quote, the determination of whether management must use a carrier from the ODL to provide auxiliary assistance must be made on the basis of the rule of reason, end quote. For example, management is not required to use a carrier from the ODL when the travel time would be excessive for the amount of assistance being given. The full text of the memorandum is reprinted at the end of this article. A carrier technician's own route for the purpose of applying Article 8.5.C.2.D and the letter carrier paragraph is the, the specific route to which the prop... The, Technician's own route is the specific route to which properly assigned on a given day. Overtime on any other route on the string is not considered to be on the carrier technician's own route and may only be required under the provisions of Article 8.5.D below and their citations. The parties have also agreed to the following MOU regarding temporary assignments of CCAs to other post offices. And here is that memorandum between the post office and the NALC regarding city carrier assistance, temporary assignments to other post offices. The parties agree to the following regarding the temporary assignment of city carrier assistance outside their employing post office installation to another post office installation. One, CCAs will normally work in their employing post office but may be assigned to work in another post office in the local travel area. Handbook F15, section 7-1.1.1.1 within the same district on an occasional basis. The assignment may be for a partial day or several consecutive days depending on local circumstances. Sunday CCA work assignments are not subject to the occasional basis limitation. Temporary assignments must otherwise be consistent with the national agreement, e.g. assigning CCAs to work outside their employing office may not violate Article 7 1.C.4 in the temporary office or the letter carrier paragraph in the employing office. 3. Management will schedule CCAs to work in other post offices in advance of the reporting date whenever practicable. 4. When the need arises to temporarily assign CCAs outside their employing post office, management will, to the extent practicable, use volunteer CCAs from the delivery unit providing assistance as long as volunteers will be in a similar pay status, e.g. straight time rate, regular overtime rate, penalty overtime rate. If sufficient volunteers are not found, CCAs from the delivery unit providing assistance will be temporarily assigned to the other installation in reverse relative standing order whenever practicable as long as the junior CCAs are in a similar pay status. 5. CCAs who are required to who are required or volunteer to work outside their employing office may receive payment for mileage for the difference between their residence and employing office provided the the difference is greater. Handbook F15, Section 7-1.1.1.2.D. The procedures outlined above are effective on December 7th, 2013. However, either party may terminate this, terminate this agreement by providing 30 days written notice to the other party. This agreement is reached without prejudice to the position of either party in this or any other matter and may only be cited to enforce its terms. Date December 5th, 2013. How are we doing on time? Uh, 45 minutes, not bad. 8.5.D. If the voluntary overtime desired list does not provide sufficient qualified people, qualified full-time regular employees not on the list may be required to work overtime on a rotating basis with the first opportunity assigned to the junior employee. Oh, that was supposed to be read in an accent. Sorry about that. Mandatory overtime. 
One purpose of the ODL is to excuse full-time carriers not wishing to work overtime from having to work overtime. Before requiring a non-ODL carrier to work overtime on a non-scheduled day or off his or her own assignment on a regularly scheduled day, management must seek to use a carrier from the ODL even if the ODL carrier would be working penalty overtime. However, if the ODL does not provide sufficient qualified full-time regulars for required overtime, Article 8.5.D permits management to move off the list and require non-ODL carriers to work overtime on a rotating basis, starting with the junior employee. This rotation begins with the junior employee at the beginning of each calendar quarter. Absent an LMLU provision of the contrary, employees who are absent on a regularly scheduled day, e.g. sick leave or annual leave, when it is necessary to use non-ODL employees on overtime will be passed over in the rotation until the next time their name comes up in the regular rotation. Management may seek non-ODL volunteers rather than selecting non-volunteers on the basis of juniority. Normally, carriers not on the ODL may not grieve the fact that they were not selected to work overtime. The provisions of Article 8.5.D do not apply in the case of full-time letter carriers working on their own assignment on a regularly scheduled day. That situation is governed by Article 8.5.C.2.D as amended by the letter carrier paragraph above. 8.5.E 8.5.E. Exceptions to C and D above, if requested by the employee, may be approved by local management in exceptional cases based on equity, e.g. anniversaries, birthdays, illnesses, deaths. Exceptional situations may excuse. Exceptional situations may excuse mandatory program. Dude, exceptional situations may excuse mandatory overtime. This language is intended to serve as a guideline for local management in excusing employees from overtime work because of exceptional situations. Consequently, the four examples listed in the parentheses are illustrative of the kinds of cases to which management should give full consideration in excusing employees from overtime. However, as, as arbitrator Sylvester, Sylvester Garrett held in blah blah blah, that Article 8.5.E, quote, reflects an intent to confer relatively broad discretion on local management to excuse employees from overtime work for any one of a number of legitimate reasons based on equity, end quote. 8.5.F, F, excluding December, no full-time regular employee will be required to work overtime on more than four of the employee's five scheduled days in service week, or over 10 hours on a regular scheduled day, over 8 hours on a non-scheduled day, or over 6 hours or over 6 days in a service week. Article 8.5.F applies to both full-time regular and full-time flexible employees. The only two exceptions for the work hour limits provided for in this section are for a full-time employee are for all full-time employees during the penalty overtime exclusion period, December and for full-time employees on ODL during any month of the year, Article 8.5.G. Both work and paid leave hours are considered work for the purposes of the administration of Article 8.5F and 8.5G. National Arbitrator Mittenthal ruled in blah 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 that an employee on the ODL does not have the option of accepting or refusing work over eight hours on a non-scheduled day, work over six days in a service week, or overtime on more than four of the five scheduled days in a service week. 
Instead, an employee on the ODL must, must be required to work up to 12 hours in a day and 60 hours in a week before management may require employees not on the ODL to work overtime. Arbitrator Mittenthal's award does not extend to situations involving a letter carrier working on his or her own route on a regularly scheduled day. See the discussion under 8.5.C.2.D and 8.5.G. 8.5.G. G. Full-time employees not on the overtime desired list may be required to work overtime only if all available employees on the overtime desired list have worked overtime up to 12 hours in a day or 60 hours in a service week. Employees on the overtime desired list, one, may be required to work up to 12 hours in a day and 60 hours in a service week, subject to payment of penalty overtime pay set forth in section 4.D for contravention of section 5.F, and two, excluding December, shall be limited to no more than 12 hours work in a day and no more than 60 hours of work in a service week. However, the employer is not required to utilize employees on the overtime desired list at the penalty overtime rate if qualified employees on the overtime desired list who are not yet entitled to penalty overtime are available for the overtime assignment. Article 8.5.G provides that employees on the ODL may be required to work up to 12 hours per day and 60 hours per week. It further provides that the 12-hour and 60-hour restrictions do not apply to employees on the ODL during the penalty overtime exclusion period, December. Accordingly, management may, but is not required to, assign ODL letter carriers to work in excess of the Article 8.5.G limits during the penalty overtime exclusion period, December. Employees desiring up to 10 hours per day. The 1984 Overtime Memorandum states in part, quote, Normally, employees on the overtime desire list who don't want to work more than 10 hours a day or 56 hours a week shall not be required to do so, as long as employees who do want to work more than 10 hours a day or 56 hours a week are available to do the needed work without exceeding the 12-hour and 60-hour limitations, end quote. The complete text of this memorandum is reprinted at the end of this article. The parties have agreed that an asterisk may be used on the ODL to distinguish between those who wish to work more than 10 hours and those who do not. <sighs> Maximum hours, 60-hour limit. National Arbitrator Mittenthal ruled in blah 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 that the 12-hour and 60-hour limits are absolutes. A full-time employee may neither volunteer nor be required to work beyond those limits. This rule applies to all full-time employees on the ODL or work assignment list, except during the penalty overtime exclusion period, December. Limitations regarding full-time employees not on the ODL or work assignment lists, PTFs, and CCAs are governed by ELM Section 432.32. ELM Section 432.32 rules apply during the penalty overtime exclusion period, December. And there's a citation. The 1260 limitations are inclusive of all hours, including any type of leave taken consistent with the 20-hour overtime limit. See uh, citation below. Accordingly, holiday leave pay is credited toward the 1260 limitation. In it, additionally, if an employee works on a holiday for which holiday leave is paid, those hours worked in excess of the holiday leave hours paid 
would also count toward the 1260 limit in their citations. In citation, third issue, September 11, 1987, arbitrator Mittenthal ruled that an employee sent home in the middle of a scheduled day because of the bar against employees working more than 60 hours in a service week is entitled to be paid for the remainder of his or her scheduled day. On October 19, 1988, the National Parties signed the following Memorandum of Understanding. The parties agree, with the exception of December, full-time regular employees or full-time employees are prohibited from working more than 12 hours in a single workday or 60 hours within a service week. In those limited instances where this provision is or has been violated and a timely grievance filed, full-time employees will be compensated and an additional premium of 50% of the base hourly straight-time rate for those hours worked beyond the 12 or 60-hour limitation. The employment of this remedy shall not be construed as, as an agreement by the parties that the employer may exceed the 12 and 60 hour limitation with impunity. As a means of facilitating the foregoing, the parties agree that excluding December, once a full-time employee reaches 20, 20 hours of overtime within a service week, the employee is no longer available for any additional overtime work. Furthermore, the employee's tour of duty shall be terminated once he or she reaches the 60th hour of work in accordance with Arbitrator Mittenthal's National Level Arbitration Award on this issue, dated September 11th, 1987, and case number is blah, blah, blah. National Arbitrator Snow held in blah, blah, blah that the Memorandum of Understanding above provides the exclusive remedy for violations of the 12 and 60 hour work limits in Article 8.5.G.2. Article 8.5G violations during a service week. The remedy of 50% of the base hourly straight time rate provided in the memorandum above applies for each hour worked in excess of 12 on a service day, excluding the penalty overtime exclusion period December by a full-time employee. The remedy of 50% of the base hourly straight time rate also applies for each hour worked by a full-time employee in excess of the 60 during the same service week, excluding the penalty overtime exclusion period December, in which the full-time employee has exceeded 12 hours in a service day. For example, if during the same service week a full-time employee worked 14 hours on Monday and ended up with 62 hours for the week on Friday, four hours would have been worked in violation of Article 8.5.G restrictions. The appropriate remedy in this example would be four hours of pay at 50% of the base hourly straight time rate, two for Monday and two for Friday. In this example, the carrier should have been instructed to clock off and go home on Friday when the 60th hour was reached. The employee would then be paid any applicable guarantee time for the remainder of the service day. In those circumstances where the same work hours of a full-time employee simultaneously violate both the 12-hour and 60-hour limits, only a, six, only a single remedy of 50% of the base hourly straight time rate is applied. For example, if a full-time employee worked 14 hours on Friday resulting in a 62-hour work week, only two hours would have been worked in violation of Article 8.5.G restrictions. The appropriate remedy in this example would be two hours of pay at 50% of the base hourly straight time rate, and here are citations. Maximum hours, 12-hour limit. The overtime limits in Article 8.5.G apply only to full-time regular and full-time flexible employees. However, ELM Section 432.32 provides the following rule that applies to all employees. 
except as designated in labor agreements for bargaining unit employees or in emergency situations as determined by the uh, PMG or designee, employees may not be required to work more than 12 hours in one service day. In addition, the total hours of daily service, including scheduled work hours, overtime, and mealtime, may not be extended over a period longer than 12 consecutive hours. Postmasters, postal inspectors, and exempt employees are excluded from from these provisions. Because this language limits total daily service hours, including work and mealtime, to 12 hours, all letter carriers not on the ODL or work assignment list, including PTFs and CCAs, are effectively limited to 11 and a half hours per service day. This is true whether or not a meal break is taken. This rule also applies during the penalty overtime exclusion period, December. However, the ELM also permits the collective bargaining agreement to create exceptions to this general rule. The only exception to this rule in the NALC National Agreement for full-time employees on the ODL or work assignment list who, in accordance with Article 8.5.G, may be required to work up to 12 hours in a day. Since work within the meaning of Article 8.5.G does not include mealtime, the total hours of daily service for carriers on the ODL may extend over a period of 12 and a half consecutive hours. This exception does not apply to full-time employees who are not on the ODL or work assignment list. The work assignment list. The work assignment list is distinct from the regular ODL discussed in Article 8.5.C.2. It was established by a letter of intent dated May 28, 1985. The full text of the work assignment agreement is reprinted at the end of this article. The work assignment list was established for full-time letter carriers who only want to work overtime on their own assignment on regularly scheduled days. Signing up for the work assignment overtime, signing up, yeah, does it. Signing up for the work assignment overtime does not create any entitlement or obligation to work overtime on a non-scheduled day. For purposes of overtime on a non-scheduled day or on other than their own assignment, carriers on the work assignment list are treated exactly the same way as any other full-time carriers not on the ODL. They may only be required to work overtime under the provisions of Article 8.5.D. Full-time letter carriers who sign the work assignment list are considered to be available for work up to 12 hours per day on regularly scheduled days. However, the work assignment agreement recognizes that it is normally in the party's best interest not to require employees to work beyond 10 hours per day, and managers should not require work assignment volunteers to work beyond 10 hours unless there is no equally prompt and efficient way to have the work performed. Management may assign an employee from the regular ODL to work regular overtime to avoid paying penalty pay to a carrier who assigned for, uh, for work assignment overtime. This exception does not apply during the penalty overtime exclusion period, December, when penalty overtime is not paid. Management may always assign another carrier to perform the work at the straight time rate rather than assigning overtime to a carrier on the work assignment list. Management may also assign PTFs and CCAs at the straight time or overtime rate up to the ELM limitations. Reserve letter carriers and unassigned regulars on the work assignment list are considered available for overtime on the specific route they are assigned on a given day. Carrier technicians on the work assignment list are considered available for overtime on any of the routes on their string. Subject to the penalty overtime exceptions discussed above, this provision should be applied as follows. A carrier technician who has signed 
for work assignment overtime has both a right and an obligation to work any overtime that occurs on any of the five component routes on a regularly scheduled day. When overtime is required on the regularly scheduled day of the route of a carrier who is on the ODL and whose carrier technician is on the work assignment list, the carrier technician is entitled to work the overtime. When overtime is required on the regularly scheduled day of the route of a carrier who is on the work assignment list and whose carrier technician is also on the work assignment list, the regular carrier on the route is entitled to work the overtime. All right, I think I might break here. Let's see. Uh, yeah, we're over an hour now. So when we come back in two weeks, we're going to pick up at section 8.6, uh, Sunday premium. And then let me see how much more we have to go here. Eh, let's see. Oh, yeah, we got all these memos. Oh, dude, there's so many memos at the end. All right. So anyway, when we come back in two weeks, we will read the remainder. And uh, in between, I'll have another regular episode. So thank you guys for listening. And I will catch you next time.